this week I started um, started getting some training in advanced mediation, advanced mediation in peacemaking, and the heart of the heart of mediation, the heart of getting when people are in conflict with one another, is to try to get to the heart the heart of the individual, the heart of the person, in order to discover, you know, what is going on in the deepest part of the soul. Look, try to look into the heart of the person. Try to get there if you can. And um, so uh, as far as today's message goes, you know, my week is always sort of a conglomeration of all those things that we deal with throughout the week through your own personal life, and uh, through the things you study, um, and the people you meet, the meetings you have, and and the news that you get, you know, of various things happening with family members and and friends. Um, a year ago, well, actually over a year ago, my plan, my thought, what well, my plan was anyway, was for us as a church to begin in January last year in the book of Nehemiah. But as we got to Beginning of 2019, I just sensed like the Lord said, no, that's not, that's not for Calvary Alliance Church now. And um, so as we came to the end of this year, I was again sort of stirring in my heart and looking back at Nehemiah, because last week we looked at Ezra, and of course we said in the, in the, in the Hebrew text those were together, Ezra and Nehemiah, the, the history. So, you know, Ezra was about 13 years before Nehemiah at, at Jerusalem. So, and Ezra is talked about in Nehemiah, as you've, if you've looked at that book. So, with this idea of the heart, uh, I wanted to look at start looking at Nehemiah, and 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 I'd like to take a look at his heart. But we won't stop there. We won't stop at his heart, and I'm sure you know you might guess where we might be going with that. But I'm going to read the whole chapter of Nehemiah in chapter 1. Now, I have been trying to work with an, uh, an ESV translation. I have to kind of shift to the new, back to the New King James here for this. And primarily, I'll just tell you before I read it, it is because of the way in which the New King James describes Nehemiah's prayer, the wording, the kind of wording. If you have an ESV you'll see the difference. And I'm not saying anything. It's not that it's bad in the ESV. I think it just grabs your heart more uh, from the New King James. At least it did mine. So uh, it's oftentimes what you're used to as well. So here's Nehemiah chapter 1. And oh, Lord, come on now. Speak to us through these words. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev, which is be the fall time, in the winter time, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who were left from the captivity in the province are there, are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, 
and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, so now here we come to his prayer. I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Father, in the name of Jesus, that's the word of God. And I pray in the name of Jesus as we look at this, from the aspect of looking at the heart of Nehemiah and trying also to examine your heart, Lord, I just pray that you would give us, first of all, insight, but also, Lord, don't just allow us, don't let us even look at this academically. Help us look at this personally. Help us, Lord, reach deep into our own hearts, Lord. And so, Father, speak to us now. And help us understand this passage so that we can better understand you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I, I wanted to focus on this, looking at the heart. Can you hear his heart? You know, Nehemiah, first of all, we need to understand that he was not a priest. So in our context today, he would not be the pastor. He was a layman. And other than me in this place, uh, in a sense of ordination, I am an ordained minister. Now, there are, there are, Tim has his master's degree and, a, and uh, a certificate, a worker's certificate to be a chaplain in this community, which is a wonderful, powerful ministry. Ron has uh, studied through the Christian Mission Alliance ministerial study program um, and yet would be considered, in a sense, lay people our elders, anyone that serves in the church, lay people. That was Nehemiah. 
So as we go through this book, really ask yourself, are you willing to stand up like Nehemiah at God's call and God's, as God leads your heart and opens up your heart? He was a layman. He had Ezra. Ezra's mentioned in here. Ezra was the priest. Ezra was the priest. But look at, his, look at, look, look at what, what he did. First of all, he asked for a report, and he received a report. And what was he asking about? First of all, he wasn't living in Jerusalem. This was like a winter retreat for the king, and he was a cupbearer to the king. In other words, the cupbearers would drink sample of wine, and if he didn't keel over because it was poisonous, then he'd serve the king with it. Plus, he was to encourage the king and always be positive around the king. That was his role. It was an important role. But when his brothers come and other men came, his first question to them was, would you just tell me about Jerusalem? And would you tell me about his people, his own people? Now, we do that. We do that naturally. We want to know about our hometown. Where's our hometown when we call home? I used to do that when I'd call Wales. And my dad would always fill me in on what was going on in Wales. And then he'd tell me about my family members. Sometimes it wasn't good news. Sometimes it was. Here, Nehemiah asks, and he gets a report. He hears about the condition of his home and his people. And when he hears that they're in great trouble and in distress, he just breaks down and falls on his face before God. And he begins to pray. His reaction when he hears the report, his reaction was to drop on his face. He sat down, he wept, he mourned. But then he didn't only do that. It, he, he, yes, his reaction was immediate just brokenness. His heart was touched, his heart was grieved. But then his response in his prayer was a prayer of confession. The first thing he, he does is he pleads with God, O oh Lord, God of heaven, O oh great and awesome God. You know, when we see that kind of prayer in the Old Testament, by the way, wherever you look, does it remind you of when the disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And he says, yes, he said. When you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God always first. I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenants and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. That's how prayer starts, in his brokenness, in his weeping. Now, he does this for about four months. When we read this passage in chapter 1, we've got to get the idea. This is, this is four months of weeping and brokenness and praying. Why? Because his people and his home is in great distress. Why? Because, yes, Ezra's got there. Yes, they built the foundation. Yes, they built the temple. But the walls are down. The, 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 the gates are burned. They're unprotected. They're in distress. And he has a heart for that. These are my people. This is my home. And so his response was his 
conversation with God, and then his confession, confessing not only his sin, the sins of his father, not only the sins of his father, but the sins of all the people. He acknowledged the fact that they were all sinful. Listen, when we say we're without sin, the Bible says that we're liars and the truth of God is not in us. We don't walk around always moping around, oh gosh, yes, I'm a sinner. No, yes, I am, but I'm saved by grace and I'm now filled with his Holy Spirit. And I've got the fruit of the Spirit flowing through me because I stay in his presence. I stick to his commandments. He acknowledges that. And then he acknowledges to God that God's truth said that to Moses, if you wander away from me, what did he say? I'll leave you. I'll leave you. If you are unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. I'll spread you out. There won't be unity. You'll be on your own, spread out, away from each other, not having the family support. But he also said that God had said, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, and though some of them were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I've chosen. He is pleading this with God. The truth is they've fallen away. The truth is they're in distress. The truth is they're disgraced. The truth is they're unprotected. That is the truth. He acknowledges the truth in his prayer to God. He sits down and he weeps. And then, so he has this reaction of brokenness and he has the response of prayer. But then he comes to his request as he comes to the end of this passage. And he says, now these are your servants and your people, verse 10, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. God, think about that. That's what he's saying. He's proclaiming it. This is a truth. And he says, oh, Lord, I pray, please, please, this is his request. Please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, that's me, and to the prayer of your servants, that's all of, all of the people that would pray that have the same desire, the same heart, to fear your name. Not in a trembling kind of a sense of, oh, but in a fearful sense that God is first and God is in control and God is on the throne and, and, I, I, and, and he loves me and he died for me and he wants me to live for him and he lives for me. And let your servant prosper this day. Listen, there's nothing wrong with asking for God to bless your endeavors for him. If they're for him, the prayer of Jabez you probably went through that years ago. It got very popular all across the country. But he said, Lord, bless me. Bless me. And, and expand my borders. And he, and he, oh, then keep me from sin so that I might not be a pain. You know, the name of Jabez means pain because he was birthed in pain and he didn't want to live and be a pain the rest of his life. So he prayed, bless me, Lord, and prosper me, Lord. You know, when you look at other passages of verses in Scripture that says, stretch out your tent pegs. You know, make room for God to move. Because when God moves, when God blesses, he does prosper. And he says, please, prosper this day, I pray. And grant 
me, him mercy. In other words, the servant that's praying. Give me mercy, Lord, in the sight of this man. In other words, I've got to go and I've got to be before this king. And I'm asking you, Lord, to show mercy, to be a, that merciful God, that there'll be a sense of mercy when I meet with this man, when I serve him his wine. We're going to get into that later, into chapter 2 later. But I'm hoping you're seeing that it started when Nehemiah requested a report of his people. And then he had an emotional reaction. And then he had a physical response in prayer. And then he requested that God be on the throne for him, bless him, and provide mercy. Well, as I looked at that, that's Nehemiah's heart. And I thought, well, now we've got this New Testament. Now we've got Christ that's come. And Christ already came, and we just celebrated that over Christmas. And so I thought, well, why don't we look at the heart of God? If this is the heart of Nehemiah, what is the heart of God in regards to looking at us? And, you know, if you think about the condition of us before God steps in, we're in great distress. We're in trouble without him, right? We're lost until we're found by him. And the heart of God is seen at the very beginning of the fall of man. When God comes looking for Adam in the garden, where are you, Adam? And he and Eve are hiding, hiding because now they knew they were naked. They disobeyed God. They'd fallen to temptation to Satan and God, but God still, the heart of God, these people, have, they've sinned, they've fallen away. The heart of God has still come to look. He still comes looking. I was talking with Tim this morning, and we were having a conversation about God's heart. God's heart, yes, he loves the 99, but God's heart looks at, goes after the one. He, he goes chasing the one sheep that's lost. That might be you at times. That's been me. So the heart of God, when he considers us, he loves us with an everlasting love. That's what he does. He comes to seek and to save us because he loves us. God weeps for us when we're lost. And this, this scripture that this promised to Moses, that if they do not keep his commandments, that they would be scattered. Adam and Eve didn't keep the commandments. Don't eat from that tree. You can eat from it. You can do whatever you want in this other. Don't do that. Well, you tell a child, don't do it. They're going to go do it. And they did it. So God says, all right, you're going to have to get out of this garden. Why did they have to leave the garden? Because the tree of life, as long as they could access that tree of life, whatever was on that, you know, we put apples on there, you know, we, the leaves, whatever that was on that tree would enable would have enabled Adam and Eve to live forever. Forever. They would have never got old. And he said, you did it, you're out. And so then when he put them out of the garden, if you look in Genesis chapter 3, then he put a flaming flashing sword and a cherubim 
right there to guard, guard the access to the tree of life. And man became in great distress and trouble. Yeah. But God's heart says, what's his reaction? Well, I am going to send my son, my one and only son, to redeem you, to bring you back. So he gives us his son, and his son has compassion on us. That's the reaction. The response of that, the response in God's heart is that he bears, he bears all our sin. Jesus prays for us. There is so much. We, you talk about uh, shoots and ladders. There are so many scriptures to do with the way Jesus prays for us, but he loves us so much and begs God to, to, to you know, hold us in his hands. That's his response, and that's his request. And his request, not only is God's re- his reaction, is to send his son, and his, and his response of the son to come and go to the cross for us, but God's request is, is that we trust him. God's looking at you and saying, will you trust me? Will you believe in me? Will you follow me? Will you abide in me? And we have a choice in that. When we choose him, then we're choosing his prosperity and his mercy and his love and his grace. Well, for the sake of today, we're looking at Nehemiah's heart. We're we're looking very briefly, just a brushstroke of God's heart. And the Bible, of course, is full of God's heart. But I thought in this we should really say, if this was Nehemiah's heart, when he requested the news of his city and his people, and how he reacted and how he responded and his request, and then we look at God, well, what about us? What about us? Especially as we start this new year. I, I, I would ask you to consider the heart of his people, and that's you, lay people. And I join you to ask God and ask myself to examine my heart. Where am I? Where, where are we when we hear news of, for example, our dear brother Joel Brown, whose diagnosis has gone from what he had to lymphoma, who's the next three weeks he's going to be right in the midst, in the, one of the greatest medical facilities you can be in the world, but he's going to be having treatment to fight lymphoma. Does that move our heart at all? Does that break our heart at all? Well, not necessarily, but what breaks our heart is when it hits closer to home, right? I mean, Joel, to some of you, is a good friend. He's come here and spoke, and I've met him, and I've sat down with him. I've had several meetings with him. And, but how, how much am I going to now go to God, just like Nehemiah went to God, and talk to God the way Nehemiah talked to God, to get to a place of asking God, to move in Joel's life. What is going to be? And, and, and then Joel's just one, one, Joel is one person. 
This, this news that came to Nehemiah was about a city of Jerusalem. It was, it was about God's people, his chosen people. And so for us, for us here in Minot, just our little Minot here, it's, it's about, and is anybody here interested in a report of this city spiritually? Anybody, any of us? And, and if we heard the report of this city, like you do if you go to the Minot News, or if you turn on the TV, or if you get your news online, maybe you don't even look at the news. But are we even interested to request a report, to receive a report? And then, how do we react? What's our reaction? Is it a matter of indifference? Or do we fall down on our face and say, God, you've got to move in our city, you've got to move in our families because there's a lot of distress, there's a lot of brokenness, there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of trouble. And God, the, the answer to this, the first move of God is through prayer. It's through prayer. What is our reaction? What will be our response? I picked up a book this week and I was just reading about um, the Azusa Street Revival. Now, obviously, that's a long time ago now. It's uh, getting to be 120 years ago. The Azusa Street Revival received a lot of letters. The people that were leading that received a lot of letters from Wales, my country, my home country, Tim's home country. Um, And at that time, 1904, 1905, there was a great revival going on in Wales, which Evan Roberts was a man of of God. Um, He actually was a (laughs) layperson that that got moved by God to pray. And, um, but I I just was reminded of him and I I came across a, a little story about him before the Welsh revival began that Evan Roberts was in a, in a congregational meeting just like we are in today, and he heard a message. And it was a message by a minister named Seth Joshua. Imagine being in Wales listening to Seth Joshua. And I'm sure the message would be in Welsh, and I can't give that to you today. But the, Roberts heard Joshua pray this. He, said, he prayed, Lord, bend us. You might have heard that term before. Lord, bend us. And when he heard those words, the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of Evan Roberts in a special way. And, and this, this, is, this is from Evan Roberts, his testimony. When he heard this, these words, Lord, bend me. He said, I felt a living power pervading my bosom. It took my breath away and my legs trembled exceedingly. The living power became stronger and stronger as each one prayed until I felt I would t- it would tear me apart. My whole bosom was in turmoil as if, and if I had not prayed it, if I had not prayed, it would have burst. I fell on my knees with my arms over the seat in front of me. My face was bathed in perspiration and the tears flowed in streams. I cried out, bend me. Bend me. And it was God's commending love which bent me. That's what bends you, is his love. What a wave of peace flooded my bosom. 
I was filled with compassion for those who must bend at the judgment. I was filled with compassion for those who must bend at the judgment. Every single one of us will have to face, come to the seat of judgment. For those who have their names in the book of life, we will pass on through. But his heart and his soul was bent, and his, his heart was broken for people that are going to have to stand, and they will not pass through. And he says, and I wept. And following that, the salvation of the human soul was solemnly impressed on me. I felt ablaze with the desire to go through the length and breadth of Wales to tell of the Savior. And after that experience, Evan would wake up at one in the morning and pray for hours. This is true. Invaded by an intense love of God and a deep desire to see others come to Christ, he began to pray together with a few others, Bend us, Lord. See, we read about Nehemiah, Nehemiah, and we say, well, that's in the Old Testament. We even sometimes might even take a look at God's heart and think, well, I've heard that before. Well, I'm asking you to look at your heart and ask you, when you look out at our city, you look out on this North Hill, and we've talked about having 1,500 door hangers to go hang out in this city, to go put on people's doors to say, your home and your family was prayed for today. Is that of any concern? Would we do it with a spirit and a soul that was broken, knowing that some of those homes, there was great distress and trouble in those homes? Listen, the only way it's going to happen is when God bends us, when the Holy Spirit comes in and moves us and gives us insight to the distress and the trouble. When we can get under a man's skin and if you will, look out at life through his windows or begin to understand that there are people in our community, even in our midst, even at work, even those you work with, even your own family members that are in great distress and great trouble. And, and I ask you to consider going to God and saying, bend me, Lord, so that it can be a true compassion, not just a job, not just something that someone's asked you to do, not something that you, 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 we do and then we check it off like a checkoff box. I started out talking to you about peacemaking and how this, this advanced mediation um, is, a, is a great ministry and it's great training. And I was asked the question, Nigel, can you give us an example of when you've sat with someone in, in mediation? Now, this is the first class and we're just doing an introduction. And I said, you know, I could, but I think I'd rather say to you this, that when I entered into this peacemaking training, back in 2007 and got all the advanced work done and all this stuff done. Uh, I had people ask me, when, well, when do you practice that peacemaking? And I said, well, it's a way of life. It's not something you just check the box and say, well, I, I got level one peacemaking done and I got level two and now I'm doing level three. It, it has to be a way of life. And, and, and this prayer in Nehemiah shows 
shows uh, the life of Nehemiah when he hears news of brokenness and distress, how he immediately went to God, lifted him up, was honest with God, confessed the sin of not only him but his fathers and his family, and then acknowledged what God had promised to Moses, and then says, Lord, it's true, but Lord, would you bless us? Would you prosper us? And unless in peacemaking, unless we can get underneath the skin into a man's heart, we will never affect that person. That person will just can remain the same. And it's not us getting under there. It's the Holy Spirit getting under there. And he gets under through prayer. He gets under through, through our intense passion for prayer and intense request of God to, to have the move of God in the heart of his people so that we can then go and impact the community and impact each individual one at a time. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray, <clears throat> Lord, I want to close in, I guess I want to close in this prayer with something that the, the great preacher Spurgeon had said about the heart. Father, that where the heart goes, the life will follow. So I pray for us as a church, I pray for me personally, I pray for each one here, that our hearts would go after you, God so that our life would follow after you, God. And I pray, Father, that our hearts would have compassion and, and a brokenness for the lost, that we'd be bent by your Holy Spirit for the lost, so that our life, our life's endeavors can be chasing after those of the lost, to see them restored, to see them prospered, to see them united with you. Father, do this amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen.